I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce me. You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Don't Know Her podcast. And this is going to be a pretty special one because we're doing something different for this episode. Something brave as well, I'd say. We're going to talk about a heterosexual man. (laughs) Oh my heavens. (laughs) How far have we come to have gotten to this point? You'd think we were scraping the barrel, but no, we're not there yet. The barrel is still plentiful, but here we are with the straight men. Um, exactly. And before we we go in to talk about this particular person, um, how are you doing today? I am good, thank you, Michael. Um, Feeling the chill that is setting in now, but uh, I guess to be expected. The the nights are darker. Um, It means I'm all the more cosy for being snug in here recording with you. Yeah. Uh, Or watching movies, preparing. Exactly. Um, some delightful, some less so. Some very straight shit that we had to watch. <laughs> I do not hate straight people um, <laughs> as much as I. it might sound like I do. Um, anyway, speaking of which, of straight people, who are we talking about today? Uh, we are talking about John Leguizamo. Yes, and he is, you know, if we have to talk about a straight man, he is been on the top of our pile for a long time yeah um it is a big anniversary for moulin rouge this year so that's one reason he was at the top of our pile but also he's just he's just someone that deserves to be more famous and we will talk about why in the sort of films but like what a career and like all the people he's working with and he seems like a genuinely lovely man and he's so talented um so yeah no i am very excited to talk about john yeah, no, absolutely. He's whereas we can have some folk that we chat about on the podcast who we feel are like typecast or doing the same sort of things. That's definitely not the case with John. It's it's wild how how versatile and how different he can play his parts it's a wonderful thing he is i guess the definition of a character actor i guess that's quite an american way of looking at things um whereas we would probably just call that acting uh, in the uk but but that sort of he he, he he goes into characters and he really plays into those he doesn't play safe he he goes big very often and with that is incredibly memorable in Pretty much everything he's done where he's been given the space to to do that. Exactly. And like something about or it's something he talks about in his in when he's interviewed often is how he has chosen roles from very very early on to avoid stereotypes of Latino characters. And really like when you think about it in that perspective, it is even more surprising like the amount of roles and the amount of like versatility he's been able to show in a uh, in a I guess industry that really does not highlight non-white stories at all uh, mm-hmm. very often um but he is just so talented and it's just so to watch him shine is a real joy yeah no it is it's a, a good time what was your getting with John Leguizamo can you can you remember 
the, your first oh, noticing of him? Of course I can. I feel like this would be the same of people our age, but like Romeo and Juliet, you know, him as Tybalt, which we will definitely be talking about. This is Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Plus Juliet. Um, Romeo plus sorry. Juliet. Is it not William Shakespeare's Romeo uh, yeah. plus Juliet from 96? Um, really like, I, I, I mean, I really love that film, of course. And then Moulin Rouge is like, I mean, anyone connected to Moulin Rouge in my mind is just as big as anyone could be in Hollywood and will have such a great place in my heart. But God, him as Toulouse-Lautrec um, oh, and the energy. And yeah, so I he had a very kind of permanent place, like once I, I knew him. But I did not know kind of other parts to his um, career. So some of the movies we'll talk about just are kind of not, would never have been in my kind of perspective as a kid. No, no, that's fair enough. I actually didn't see Romeo plus Juliet until I was maybe 16 or 17 in English at class at school. Um, so my first was Ice Age, where he voices Sid the Sloth. Um, and watching that when I was far younger at primary school, probably roughly when it came out. Um, and at the time, gosh, I was a big fan of Ice Age. I was very charmed, especially by, by him in it. I thought he did... He did a wonderful job voicing the the playful and silly sloth. Yeah, and that was before like sloth became really cool as well. <laughs> yeah, he did it <laughs> like before. He, like predated cool. it. I love it. <laughs> They're too trendy now. The hipsters got hold of the sloths. Mm. What does sloth <laughs> do with John? John opened the door for sloths everywhere. <laughs> And thank heavens for it. But anyway, let me give us, let me give us, let, yes, let me give us. <laughs> God, I'm, I'm already scrambled. It's been a long day. <laughs> Put an emphasis on a different word in that sentence, but one more time. <laughs> so let me dive into uh, the career, or a little wee rundown into the career of uh, John Legisimo. So, he was born on the 22nd of July, 1964. What a day to be born. Uh, I only realised today that he is um, a, a shared birthday with myself. Um, so, Ooh. yay, John. Glad to have you on the 22nd. Um, born in Bogota, Colombia. Um, but when he was four years old, his family moved from Colombia to New York City. Um, which then really went on to cement a lot of who he became and what we then knew him as, as a performer and actor. Uh, after he graduated from high school, his theatre career um, kind of took, uh, took way uh, when he was an undergraduate at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. But he then left this, I guess, fairly early to take up a career as a stand-up comic in the early 80s, working within, primarily, the, the New York comedy scene. Uh, one of his earliest acting gigs, though, was in Madonna's Borderline video in 1984. What a treat for everybody. Um, and then, sort of a similar time, making his TV debut in an episode of Miami Vice in 1986, and then followed on by a string of smaller roles in films. And this is where it starts to take off. We see him in Die Hard 2 um, regarding Henry. And then really sort of taking off in 1993, where he is a co-starring role in Super Mario Brothers as Luigi. Um, and the same year as that, having a prominent role in Brian De Palma's Carlito's Way. 
Following on from here, he went on to have a pretty busy film career, I think it's fair to say, um, starring as drag queen uh, Chi-Chi in Tufong Wu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Neymar, in 1995. Um, as Tybalt in, as you mentioned, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet in 96. And also, again, with Baz in Moulin Rouge uh, as Toulouse-Lautrec. Uh, and... Sid the Sloth, as I've mentioned, an Ice Age, and then a variety of other kind of noteworthy entries, some of which we'll talk about on the pod here, some we may not so much. <laughs> um, but these include M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening, The Lincoln Lawyer, the John Wick films, Chef, and Sisters. Legismo also had a noteworthy TV career, picking up an Emmy along the way for his autobiographical stand-up piece Freak, which was directed by Spike Lee from his on-stage special. He has also starred in ER, The Kill Point, When They See Us um, from Ava DuVernay a few years ago, and Bloodline. And then one that surprised me, that he was cast as Derek or Del Boy Trotter in a US remake of Only Fools and Horses, which really threw me, but I don't think this made it beyond like an extended TV film that I, I reckon has maybe since been buried, and perhaps for the better. Alongside this, I mean, busy, busy man, he's also had a very successful theatre career, and kind of off the back of that in 2018 was presented with a special Tony Award for his body of work and for his commitment to bringing diverse stories and audiences to Broadway for over three decades. So that's a that's like a really lovely award, actually, and I'm sure very deserved. So that is just a little dip into John Leguizamo. Yeah, but before we go into the films, just to like something that's been really striking when we're searching him and his career and choices he's made and like that award you mentioned from the Tony Awards is his like dedication and like so he's so kind of he's a spokesperson and that sounds like a very kind of passive I guess or whatever way but very like fights for recognition not just for himself but mm. for him, the Latino community for Latino actors and I just am so taken by that He's like, for instance, there's a few interviews where he, he calls out Steven Spielberg for not having Latino characters in like Band of Brothers. He's like, you can have this many hours of TV and there's all these you know, Latino people that are definitely in it in history, but where are they in your stories? Right. And then calls out specifically probably the most powerful man in Hollywood. Yeah. And that's a pretty brave thing to do, definitely. Um, I think. So it is such a shame that the cinema or in Hollywood in particular, hasn't been able to give him the platform that theatre has, he, or he's made for himself in theatre. And yeah, so there's a lot of his stuff recorded, as you've said, um, and some of it on is on Netflix, um, like the recent um, uh, Latin History for Morons stand-up. So I recommend, you know, delve into that. But we're not going to focus on that because we focus on movies. And I guess maybe the best place to start is this big year of his. Yeah. So doing Mario Brothers or Super Mario Brothers and working with Brian De Palma, who is like one of the, at this time in particular, like such a big filmmaker to be working with in a movie with Sean Penn and Al Pacino 
playing a really significant part in Carlito's way. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't even know which one to start with because they're so different. Like Super Mario Brothers, he comes in and he's just real charming. Like you have Bob Hoskins is playing Mario and he's the more serious one. He's got his like act together trying to get work because they're plumbers. Which still shocks me that they're actually plumbers. <laughs> because as for those who do listen to the podcast, you'll already know we did watch this movie for Fiona Shaw, who plays one of the villains. And I'd never seen it before. So watching or reminding myself of it for this, I was still like, God, this movie is wild. Um, not least that they are actually plumbers trying to find work that stumble upon this underworld. But he's really charming. Like, I just find him so charming in this movie. And it's... Uh, he easily could be a leading man, more so than we've seen him in his career. Based solely on this film, which did not do very well, is pretty crap, but was the first um, uh, game adaptation. Back in the early 90s, you wouldn't have adaptations of known entities like this, in, like we would now. Mm-hmm. <sighs> like, aren't we having a Monopoly movie? That's how desperate we're getting. Um... Are we? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm making <laughs> shit up now. Um, but back then, this was really rare. And he does so. He does so well. I just love him. He's so lovable. He and is. The scene where like they're at the police station and they're trying to like figure out like they're trying to get their name. Name. Mario. Last name. Mario. Okay. What's your name? Luigi. 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 No. Luigi Mario. Okay. Look, how many Marios are there between the two of you? There's three. There's Mario Mario and Luigi Mario. Mike! Mike! Up these Marios around the side. You're like, what? What's going on? But he plays it just so well. Uh, well yeah, oh, it is sweet. I mean, hey, I still don't like this film. I, I wasn't inclined to rewatch it. But I rewatched him, and he is lovely in it. And what you're saying about thinking that he should have been launched maybe in a different way off the back of this, like... He does play, it's really boyish and charming in a way that if it was to be now um, in the kind of era of our boyish leading men, um, it, it would he would take off so much. He would be um, cast in everything off the back of this if it were to have happened now. Um, maybe if it were all of different quality, uh, perhaps. But it, he, is, he is just really charming and, and sweet and you're just glad to see him and you know he's very attractive in it it's it's um an interesting thing this this super mario brothers situation because hey tonally it is a million miles from the game it is uh quite something whereas <laughs> well i'm not sure what is it like it's just such an odd film it's like like terry gilliam's brazil for children or something yeah it doesn't it doesn't work in no, short dennis hopper's no. the villain with fiona shaw it's all, it's all, it's all not great. I do recommend you go back and listen to our Fiona Shaw podcast because she is a hoot in it and this awful kind of part as well. It's just such a strange film. And then, like, I can only imagine to go from that and Carlito's way, like, it, like this is just so different and it's so like, you know, he comes in as an antagonist basically to Pacino. Um, he wants his girl back. Because mm-hmm. Sean Penn's having sex with her in the toilet. The thing is, nobody has asked this woman what she wants. We don't really know. But this yeah. is the sort of movie we're watching. Sure. We are doing a straight man after all. <laughs> These <laughs> sorts of things will happen. 
And so he's like, so they basically get very aggressive with each other. And it kind of, and he's, you know, Benny Blanco is his name, which is a great name. And he is a presence in the film, which plays an important part, let's say. Al Pacino should have killed him, would have been a, that's, that's (laughs) like, come on, kill him. This man is clearly dangerous. Um, But he's like a, he's like a live wire. Why don't you get lost? Go ahead, snatch your purse. Come on, take a fucking walk. No, I think the only problem here is that Steffi doesn't know where she belongs. Come on, Steffi, let's go. Steffi belongs here. That's where she belongs. I think Steffi's making a big fucking mistake. He is such a live wire in this. And then I think this is probably more what did did well for his career. I think the combo of things, because um, even though Super Mario Brothers was critically panned, it was, I think, fairly successful and watched at the time so it sort of put him on the map but Carlito's way gave him that I guess cred for working with an auteur type director in the 90s um yeah he's he's great in a million miles away already from what he was doing in Super Mario Brothers he's he's uh, like sniveling and just kind of oh, oh yeah he's he's dangerous he, you sense it straight away he's he's a volatile person uh, and you you don't want to kind of mess with him scrappy in a really scrappy sort of way where he he shouldn't be intimidating but you can sense from him that you should be scared of him you should be wary of this man be over man you fucking history books that's what you are man so you might as well fucking kill me now because if i ever see you again i swear to god i'm gonna fucking kill you there's something about him. He won't take no for an answer, which even though he's like, it's basically because he's so young and naive and eager. And that's where this danger comes from. It's, it's so, he's so well cast in this film and he really elevates it, I think, when he's in it. Um, Pacino's doing exactly what you imagine Pacino to be doing in this sort of environment. But when you see John like come in and he does his thing, you're like, yes, the movie is going to find steam. Yes, exactly that. And and he is both the kind of turning point of the film's narrative, but also brings it kind of full circle in a very intentional way. The film sets out to do this sort of full circle moment from the get-go, and it is John's character which does bring it all back around. Carlito is this... Um, gangster figure who's been put in prison for many years and he comes out and he is looking to set himself on the straight and narrow again finds himself romantically entangled with someone from his past and and wants to kind of move in a um less problematic direction perhaps and takes up as a manager of a nightclub but of course that then is on the peripheries of what's to follow and then it is John's character who steps in and sort of reawakens uh, that side of his past and then if we're talking about like doing different showing uh, different sides to your uh, talent the following year is Tu Wong Fu Thanks for Everything Julie Newmar um which he is so he's playing a drag queen so the film is led by Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes who are drag queens competing in this very big tournament where like RuPaul like bestows the crown and they both win this um crown and the they have to go to another 
pageant across the country. And they take pity on uh, John's Chi-Chi. That little Latin boy in drag is crying. Find out why that little Latin boy in drag is crying. Little Latin boy in drag. Why are you crying? Because Latoya, you're so pretty, you know, you're so pretty. That's all. Oh, yes, yes, of course we're pretty, but why are you crying? And they're like, oh, instead of us taking these fancy flights, we're going to go by car across country, the three of us. And it's a story kind of about them supporting Chi-Chi. It's kind of Chi-Chi's story in a way. I mean, they all have their own things going on. Mm. But I would I would argue that it's Chi-Chi's story. Um, and it's about her flourishing and her finding purpose. There's The movie itself... I had not seen until I think you might have recommended it, like during lockdown. No, it was. I right? think we both watched at a very similar time. Um, okay. Yeah. Because, and I think I just thought it was going to be crap. Um, but the film, it isn't crap. Like it's not. It's very questionable. It's aged in loads of ways. It, the understanding of trans people and drag queens is well for want of a better word like unclear (laughs) like they're always dressed as women but they refer to themselves as drag queens there are but then chi chi's character does seem to have more like of a trans storyline she has a whole storyline which is is realized quite well i guess for the time with a um cis man Mm-hmm. Um, who thinks she is uh, Chi Chi is a woman um, or a cis woman, but it, it, the film is just not clear enough. Like we don't really know what these people want or what <laughs> they do. There is a, actually quite kind of a destructive sequence where Wesley Snipes says, "When a straight man puts on a dress and gets his sexual kicks, he is a transvestite. When a man is a woman trapped in a man's body and has the little operation." He is a transsexual. I know that. When a gay man has way too much fashion sense for one gender, he is a drag queen. Thank you. And when a tired little Latin boy puts on a dress, he is simply a boy in a dress. And it's, I like where that's coming from is 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 quite a serious tone in the film, as if like this yeah. this is it. Because it was aimed at a straight audience, like you'll understand what we're doing here. But no, I don't think anyone really does. Um... No, and it's belittling. It's belittling that character because it is John's character, Chi-Chi, that is maybe most definitively not just a boy in a dress, as you're kind of saying. There's a lot more going on there. And what he's bringing to it and, and the performance he's given, which again is very different to anything he's done before, and he really sells it and he he plays it very well he he does a great job here but to, to yeah that line just doesn't seem to sit well with what is actually going on no because it's such a like generous and like open-hearted mm. film in so many ways yeah um you know there are there are still things where today you know it's upsetting to watch so chichi's character has as i said this love story but the the arc of her that and which is promoted by Patrick Swayze's character is that she must give up this boy so that he can be with who he should be with which of course is this 
you know, cis woman. It's absolutely out of the question. Well, says you, you're not my mama's. I'm going and you can't stop me. Oh, darling, you most certainly will not be going out with Mr. Bobby Ray. But why not? Why not? We got a lot in common. Oh, yes. Like, for starters, the same business in between your legs. And it's a bit like, but why should she cheat? Like, what about, like, why doesn't she deserve love that way? Do you know? Yeah. So, I, I, but but anyway, this was made in a, the 90s and they get stuck in this town after a police officer tries to sexual, uh, well, does sexually assault one of the characters. They fight back. They think they've killed him. They haven't. And there's kind of a chase. They're trying to hide. There's this kind of uh, carry on going. And they stop in a town where Stockard Channing is there, um, <laughs> which dreamy. I love, it's such a, it's just such a fun film for that reason. And then Julie Newmore turns up at the end. It's so good. And I have to say, all like um, Patrick Swayze, um, I, all three men are terrific. Like when you read up about how they researched and you know prepared for these roles, it is hard sometimes to watch straight men play drag queens and for it not to seem a bit offensive yeah um or a lot offensive in the case of some but they do such a brilliant job yeah and and i mean at this time they weren't even probably thinking about unfortunately about casting the correct performers to play the roles so for them to have given it so much and and you know they are leaning on tropes and things like that but it doesn't matter because I know, and especially in the case of well, all of them. I think they're all doing a great job, and they're doing very different representations of their of drag queens or or gay characters, whatever it might be. Um, but John especially is is so in this. It's just it is quite magnificent to watch and compare what he has done before this in say Carlito's way or Super Mario Brothers to then be playing this and kind of the effeminate side that he brings to this character is is bang on the money in in many ways he he's doing wonderfully yeah they're 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 just it's it's just so well portrayed the three of them and i feel like that is why the film works really yeah because they're you know it's, it's not a great film in in lots of of what like if the ending is very satisfying you know the opening is fun but the being stuck in the town kind of loses steam there's too many characters that they're trying yeah. to help yeah. And it's also like they're fairy godmothers and you're like, ah, yes. but don't gay people or LGBT queer people who whatever, any any sort of non-heterosexual like heterosexual characters deserve to have that too. And the film seems to think, no, apart from Chi-Chi does have a glorious moment of transformation, which I won't spoil, but rewatching it for this, I was just smiling the whole time knowing it was coming. I just, so I I, I do recommend the film um particularly if people love drag race and things like that like this has a lot to offer that would bring a lot of joy to a lot of people yes it's a it's a fun film to stick on and i think it would it would delight many as you say and then like so this is the thing about his career in the 90s the following year comes baz lerman's romeo and plus sorry i know <laughs> you can't see this but scott gave me a look of like you say and instead of plus again <laughs> <laughs> Romeo plus Juliet where he plays Tybalt who is um, a cousin of Juliet uh, from the house of Capulet and um, is very much against the uh, Montagues of which Romeo is part of so when Romeo and Juliet fall in love 
he is not best pleased. Um, and he plays quite a significant part. I mean, of course, in the play, if people don't know, a man called William Shakespeare wrote this. Um, <laughs> Who? Um, never heard of her. Um, but uh, don't know her. But we'll do an episode on William Shakespeare films. Um, oh, that's a fun idea. But Baz Luhrmann has made it his own and put a real like t- stamp, like a timestamp almost. It's like this nineties MTV hyperactive movie and again john comes in as this again like like carlito's way a bit like as a live wire he you know there's an argument at the start they're at a gas station he's like fuck this shit i'm gonna i'm gonna really show you that i don't mean i'm not playing around and um has like one of the most iconic lines in all of shakespeare peace i hate the word as I hate hell, all Montagues. And the Bang Bang! So yeah, and like he plays a very important part towards the end. I don't I mean I don't know if you can spoil a Shakespeare play or <laughs> film, but for those who haven't seen it, check out Romeo Plus Juliet. Yes, it's it's definitely worth watching. I will say I've never been a fan of Romeo Plus Juliet, and that's probably come up in the podcast before in talking about Baz Luhrmann that even though I love the film we're probably going to mention very soon, Moulin Rouge, I I don't really get along with his others and this is one of them. And I'd initially thought maybe it was just from watching it in school, in class, I was just a bit like, Ugh, even though it is, it's not that kind of film at all, it's not this stodgy, obvious take on Romeo and Juliet, it is very big and loud and splashy and musical and you know it's a good time very colorful fun film but i don't know what it was about it i didn't like i just uh, i uh, i just found it quite jarring and and irritating but then i was like well i'll give it another chance and quite recently maybe not that recently i me and my friend went and watched it on a rooftop in London in the pouring rain. So we were wearing oh. ponchos. It was pouring with rain. But that made it very atmospheric. I felt like I was in the film. There are moments where it is quite dramatic and and the weather aided that along. But I was still like, no, I'm not sure it's for me. But it it is it is a lot of people's, you know, favourites, especially from our generation. It is definitely worth watching. It is a... It's an exciting piece of work, and I think I am in the minority of of not finding it as exciting as others. But John Leguizamo in this is incredible. He's definitely my favourite player in this um, big old cast. Um, and yeah. his entrance, as you've sort of described the scene at the petrol station, is magnetic. He is dangerous. He is... Oh, he's just so there and so present. And he has these metal-heeled shoes when he he puts out his cigarette and stamps on it and it's just ingrained in my head the noise it makes as his heel connects with the ground to put out the cigarette his attitude for days is just it is quite it is quite a, a thing to behold yeah he makes such a big imprint with this of like this is what's at stake so when we go to the party scene and they you know probably in a most people will know it, even if they've not seen the film, where Romeo and Juliet meet across um, a fish tank at the bathrooms. You know, like, shit, man, like, this is not going to go down well. <laughs> Tybalt is going to 
not be happy here. <laughs> but you don't, Tybalt's not even there, but his presence is still felt. It's and I think that's there. a real credit to to John's performance. Um, well, yeah, let's go on to the next Baz Luhrmann film because Moulin Rouge is like, blew the doors open for me as when I saw it when I was a kid. And I was like, you're right. And he's the character that's like, don't you believe in love? And he's like shouting it all the time. And like, he's just so... He wants to will this relationship between um, this penniless uh, writer, Ewan McGregor, who's a writer at the Moulin Rouge, falls in love with Nicole Kidman Satine, who's a star, and she's she mistakenly thinks he's a duke, falls in love with him back, and they continue to have a secret affair while she pretends she's going to please Duke and marry him or have sex with him which they but he comes in and he kind of allows it to happen and wants it to happen and oh, i just love him i just love him in this film um as toulouse lautrec and i know we talked about it with kylie minogue um at the beginning but obviously john's part when well obviously but if you've seen it john's part is way more um he's more present in the film and he actually is the one at the end who who like screams to like do not leave like stay and be in love and screw everything else because all that matters is that you love each other the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return oh it is so wonderful i'm the same i feel exactly the same about moulin rouge it 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 changed my world when i first watched it i was just like wow this i'm on board with the jukebox musical which often you could be allergic to because it can be such a dull and uninspired thing this is the opposite this is this is just inspired to the max it is big melodramatic exciting romantic oh it's what a time and you're right john is delightful in it and again playing wildly different to anything else he's done playing a real character and he's he's adorable and again very memorable i think one of the most memorable performances in a very memorable film full of memorable performances but he is he stands out big time he's just he, he's the driving force, as you say, for the message of the film. He drives that message of the belief in love. Um, and with that, it's just... What a trip. I mean, I think most people listening have probably seen Moulin Rouge. If you haven't, please, please go and watch it. You'll you'll hopefully have as wonderful a time now as, as we did watching it the first time about 20 years ago. There is a, there is a point, I guess, which is worth mentioning that Toulouse Trek was only five foot um, due to um, health reasons. I mean, it seems like he had an awful lot <laughs> of health reasons trying to research for this. But um, John Leguizamo is on his knees for a lot of it. There's like during the spectacular, spectacular sequence, you will know that or you will be able to spot everyone else is like moving forward and doing stuff. And he stays in one place because he is on his knees. Um, so it's kind of the sort of part that he probably wouldn't play anymore. And I guess that's worth flagging. He has openly talked about Chi Chi and Tu Wong Fu and saying like he wouldn't play as he saw it, a trans person today and that he wouldn't need to, that there's many other very talented people that would be able to play that part. 
Yeah. Um, but again, like Tu Wong Fu, it's not that's never played for laughs. I don't know. It's kind of a respectfully done bit of casting, and I do find it impossible to think of him not in the film. Exactly. Yes. Exactly that. It also did save him. Like everyone else is like dancing and jumping around, <laughs> like, yeah. and he is not doing any of those things, <laughs> which I assume, like from seeing with other things, he would be able to dance and and stuff. But uh, <laughs> but he just cannot. It just the technology did not exist. <laughs> um, I, and I, well, this is what's jumping to mind when I think now thinking of him dancing, um, is the pest. Because the pest starts off with him dancing in a shower for so long. <laughs> <laughs> and the pest is like the sort of title of a film which I'm like, you could have added that to so many films of of this time, or probably still today, of like, just men, like men, ma- ma- a man-child going through their day, causing havoc, and somehow thinking they're still charming. Pest. Is that your name or a personality trait? Well, my real name is Pestar Rivera Garcia Finoso from Marcos Neruda, Salsa Picante, Chuleta, Chancleta, and Salsa Picante Vargas, but you can call me Pestario, uh-huh. Pest for shorter. <laughs> now we even. To give him the benefit, he is charming in this film, and he does get it caught up in this whole, whole sort of craziness. So it's a real joy to watch him in it, but he does everything in it it really makes me think like that the pest is a sort of movie that say jim carrey uh, mike myers these sorts of um comedians that do a lot of improv let's say on set i bet can just let their personality fly and it's a real shame that he wasn't being he wasn't uh, john wasn't able to get more opportunity to do that because i it would have been amazing it's just a shame the pest is not a great story um, he gets caught up in a mobster sort of gang thing. But say, I would love to have seen John Gizmo in Liar Liar or any yeah. of those sorts of things. Yeah. I think that would make sense. It is. That's a good way of looking at it. And you can even tell from the title that it's sort of, it would go back to those like Steve Martin, the jerk, or, you know, yeah. it is, it's these kind of things. It, 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 they do feel um, like of the same kind yeah, that's a good flag. He would be. In terms of how broad we've seen him act in, in films we've already discussed, I think it would come very easily to him to play exactly as you're discussing these these types in bigger Hollywood films than than perhaps the pest is. I would say it'd come easy to him, but the crew around him might lose their patience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the same enough. with all of these people. Like I, I do not imagine... I think they come on set, do improv, do a lot of things, you know, which which is great. And, that you know, that's not actually the sort of films I enjoy, but it's the sort of films he should have had the opportunity to make because he would have excelled. And then, like, when we look at his career post, well, not post Moulin Rouge, even though I see everything as post and pre Moulin Rouge. Um, but it's a real shame, like, he's, for whatever whatever happened, and I can't get my head around it, it's kind of like he took a back seat. It's like he wasn't getting these exciting opportunities anymore. Like, as you mentioned, Ice Age, of course, is very exciting. He's voicing the lead character, but it's not really stretching himself in the same way as any of the films you just mentioned. And he has things like, I mean, I don't know which ones you want to talk about, but like <laughs> The Happening, for instance, or 
any, any I mean god he's like voicing an animal in Dr. Doolittle 2 he turns up for like in John Wick as a friend kind of on the side but you know he's never he's never like as active as you would as I would like him to be as he had been in the 90s yeah no no no, no. exactly that the, these films don't do him the justice that we'd want after having seen those films at that time um but i mean hey in terms of it being a time i guess we have to talk about the happening right <laughs> we're never going to be able to talk about it again so the happening m night Shyamalan's the happening involves um uh an epidemic <laughs> epidemic <laughs> the wind that sweeps in um an epidemic which causes people to suddenly be taking their own lives inexplicably. At first, it's happening in in parks around cities and, and spreading outwards. So um, Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel, who are a couple in this, have to flee to the countryside to escape the city and the problems that are going on. However, it follows them. Um, oh and God. John... Do you think, Scott, do you think it's the plants? <laughs> oh god and sorry guys there's a lot more to it than just plants attacking people but yeah. yeah but that's the gist it's i mean hey if you if you haven't seen it i'm not going to necessarily recommend it but yes it's basically the wind the wind is bristling through the plants and making people kill themselves i mean it's quite something and uh, I'd heard always that this was a terrible, terrible film. Um, normally when you hear that, you're kind of like, oh, it's not going to be that bad. Um, it was. <laughs> For me, it was. Uh, and I know you're now going to defend it. So let me no. let me tear it apart so then you can defend it afterwards. Um, it It is... I mean, it's it's confusing. So there, there's maybe something going on with this film... And it should be read differently, and it's now being viewed in this way. And of course, it's sort of leaning into these old Hollywood horror B-movie types. And you can feel that with the hokiness of the acting. But then I'm just not sure because it's so weird. Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel in this are uh, uh, horrible. They are so horrible to watch in this. It feels like they are playing, because they've both done a lot of comedy work and, and goofball-type comedies. Like, you've got Mark Wahlberg doing Ted and Zoe Deschanel in lots of things as her sort of quirky type that she plays. They're playing that in a film about a a pandemic, like this, this thing that's making people kill themselves. Yet they are like oddballs... And, and it's so, like, weird. It's like a... I don't... I, I just do not get what's going on. When I was writing my notes, I just wrote, like, what the fuck? What are the... Why are people speaking like this? And then again, like, this is meant to be a comedy, right? Is this meant to be a comedy? Because then I started to think maybe it was. And if this is meant to be a comedy, then I'm like, okay, I guess that's what it's doing with the old Hollywood B-movie horror type thing. But it's not... It's just not approaching that in the right way at all. And it doesn't read as that it's like winking at the camera enough. So yeah, uh, in the direction I feel like you're going to go with defending it, I, I, I can respect that. And if that's how people want to read it. But it is just horrible. John, I will just say quickly, is... is compared to them is fine in it he's still doing it's still weird but with him weird. to me you can go it's the writing and it's the direction he within there you can be like no actually you're fine 
but it's this. It's what you're delivering is not fine because the conversations he's having, it, it, the bit there's this bit about the breakdown of Mark Wahlberg's marriage and this conversation they're having. I'm like, what are they? Why are they talking like this? It's so um, it's so stilted and and weird and uh, it's but clumsy. Like, so, so Scott, if we say say we're like hanging out and the world is about to end or the, whatever is happening, people are killing themselves. <laughs> I this is a, this is the sort of movie it is like that's when John decides to tell Mark that I saw her on your wedding day again with the wedding what I walked into a wedding room by mistake and she was crying she looked up I saw her face she wasn't ready to jump in Elliot that's not who she is she's never going to jump in when you need her man why is this now the time and why the dialogue even if it now was the time does it sound like you're just kind of like the conflict is this woman being upset? Do you know, like, or, or it, it's just so silly. I mean, yeah, you're you're dead right. You know exactly why I love it because it's so silly. It's just so silly. I laugh along with it. I also watched M Night Shyamalan's new movie Old in the cinema and um, had a whale of a time because it's the same old kind of yeah. crap, like really bad dialogue, good actors, kind of struggling with the material. And mad things are happening. And then, and I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to spoil it, but the, the re- resolution of both of old and the happening is just not described. Like, it's just like, oh, and this now is over. It's like, what? What? Like, we need more information to have a satisfying ending. Oh, and it's it's like, we're set up by M. Night's films to, to want... A, a big twist and then this one is sort of just ingrained throughout so you're like it's coming it's coming at least this film has been horrible but oh i'm gonna get a kick out the twist and then it ends and you're like oh i see it was just the it was just the wind and the plants that right. is the twist but uh, that, you see the same trick is done in old and i honestly watching and i think you might have enjoyed the happening more or maybe if you had seen had my experience with old in the cinema and then watched the happening alone because in the cinema, people were laughing at old. Yeah. We were having a great old time. It was like, this can't be happening. And I feel like that is the sort of B-horror, cheap but not cheap movies that he's going to do. Like, The yeah. Sixth Sense is behind him, as is Unbreakable, which I would say is his best film. And yeah. even The Village, which I quite like. is. I really enjoy The Village, yeah. So now he's just making these cheesy knockoffs. But you see, I've not seen old, but is this in the same register? Because I can imagine old yeah. from the trailers and everything. I feel like it knows what it's doing. The happening to me felt, I mean, even though it wasn't earnest because they were playing, the, the pair of them were playing like they were in a a 1950s rom-com. But in, in it was like, I, what's going on? But it was just in this, oh, I don't know. And no, and I, I, I think it's more fun. It's so, it's so obvious of me to pick on a film which has already been torn apart since it came out. Yeah. And and I'm hey I'm all here for people defending it, but it's just it it is a load of old shit, and it's not. It's just it's. I get it. I think if I was watching it with other people, I might. Well, I would laugh along because it is funny. Like what they're up to is funny, but it's it's um oh man it, oh like I love it, and I guess we should go. We won't get to talk about it loads, of, but people will know John for so many movies. Like he has the John Wick series. Um. As we mentioned, Ice Age, Sisters, there's just so many films that he's involved in. Is there anything you want to talk about before we do the quiz? 
No, I think we've sort of touched on my favourites and and my least favourites um, of the pack. Um, he's a he's a wonderfully interesting guy, and I I'm glad we've spoken about him. But yeah, so hey, if you're listening at home, you might be thinking, wait a minute, you didn't talk about his most fun film. Uh, please let us know if that's the case. So yeah, let us know whatever your favourites are. I'd love to hear as well back about John because he's just such a varied performer with so many different types of films Mm -hmm. so i guess we should do a quiz please love me a quiz test your knowledge um so actually i'm usually very good at prizes i would say um but i can't think of like is there something you'd like i was thinking like maybe a night at seeing moulin rouge in the west end when it opens with john himself or like let's have the whole cast of moulin rouge there with you oh no i would like it i would i would like that very much i do want to go along and see moulin rouge in the west end anyway so that alone would be a, a satisfactory prize but if i could take john and the whole cast and have them sit with me and then they get up and perform an encore and, and do a couple of the numbers yeah that a couple of the fair that seems fair yeah that seems <laughs> it seems only fair um, I feel like they're quite a loud bunch, particularly like Baz Luhrmann and John. They'd be like shouting the whole time through it or something. I don't know. They'd be yeah, rowdy. Loud. Um, so, okay. So we're going to have two parts. The first part um, is a series of kind of trivia questions. And the first one is, why did John give Sid, his character in Ice Age, a lisp? Oh, um... Gosh, I don't know why he did that. It's very, very memorable in my head. It's it's what I remember of of Sid and this very fun and lively voice part. But I, I no, I'm not sure. Why did why did he give him a lisp? I wouldn't know where to start with that. Yeah, this this is a very big question, but I just want to give I just want to share fun information. <laughs> Please, it is about you winning as well. I'm so sorry, but the answer is um, sloth. He, when he was doing his research, he discovered that sloths store food in their mouth, so he thought that they would have a lisp if they spoke because of that reason. Well, great. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now it's... that I'm saying it out loud recorded, I'm like, does that make any sense anyway? <laughs> no, it would do. If your mouth was full of food, um, uh, he would probably have um, a slight slurring of the speech. Um, and hey, he obviously went method, so great. Okay, so the next ones, um, you're going to have a, a, a choices to make, so it's not going to be as broad as that Okay, one. okay. So in high school, which of the following was John voted for? A, most charming. B, most talkative. C, most promising. Or D, most creative. Oh, I think all of these he should be n- nominated for. My answer is... E, all of the above. Um, but I think the one which sits with me most is promising. Most promising. You would think that, and he would deserve that, but no, it was most talkative. It was talkative, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which I absolutely love. Um, next question. How long did John study with the famous, um, very famous acting coach, Lee Strasberg, in his studio? Is it A, one day, B, one week, C, one month, or D, one year? I'm going to guess it's going to be short based on sort of his this time studying before taking off to be a comedian. So a week, I think it's going to be weirdly short. 
Um, it was weirdly short. It was a day because just he a died. Day. Yeah, Whoa, Lee Strasberg gosh, okay, died. So that's why. Oh no, oh, my God, that's not where <laughs> and, I thought um, that was going. Yeah, John jokes about it in his stand-up and stuff, and it's like I have that effect on people. Oh my, which heavens. is quite funny. And then my last question in this round is: What Oscar-winning movie did John turn down to do Super Mario Brothers? Is it A, The Piano? B Philadelphia or C Remains of the Day. Oh, Philadelphia, surely of those three. Of course, yes. He was going to be cast as Tom Hanks's lover. Okay, um, that makes that sense. went to Antonio Banderas um, instead. Um, oh, I mean, hey, Antonio's great. It makes sense to me in that, but I would have, I would have liked to have seen John do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John jokes about it, saying like. Tom Hanks wasn't hot enough for him, so he wanted Kevin <laughs> Costner or someone like that. <laughs> oh, he's a funny guy. Um, so the next round is called "Name That Queen." <laughs> oh, la 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 la. So yeah, exactly. Um, you have oh, so we have some clips, and I want you to identify the actor. And or the film in the clip. And they're all playing drag queens. Some of them, there's more than one actor, I should say, to identify. So, let's go with clip number one. I just find it hard to believe that you're a man. Because you found me attractive as a woman? Yes, as a matter of fact. It happens frequently. Not to me. I'm so confused. I mean, that is a woman. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, I have. No, I don't know. I don't know what this is. I can't. So it is a woman, yeah. Um, so this is. Do you want a hint or do you just want to be told? It just. I, you tell me. Take, take it away. Go on. It is the one, the only Julie Andrews in Victor Victoria, where she plays a singer looking for a job, and she can only get cast as a drag queen. So she is a woman pretending to be a man performing <laughs> as a woman. Or as the drag queen. Oh my god, of course it's her. That's so annoying. Okay. It's okay, so you didn't get that. But let's try number two. Bitch, can you get down off that stage and come help me close this bar, please? Don't talk to me like that in that bus driver wig, girl. <laughs> well, that one was far more brief than I was <laughs> okay. There's also two drag queens in this. Yeah, <laughs> okay, great. Um, oh, gosh. It, it, one of them sounds... Is it this, a star is born? Is one of them Shangela? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Shangela's voice is very clear to me. Who's the other one? Who's the other one? Ooh, who else is in it? Uh, whose voice is that? Oh... Would I give you a oh, hint? No, 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 no. I can get it. I can get it. Peppermint? No. Oh, it's Willem. Yes, Willem. Yep. It's Willem. That's whose voice it is. Yes, I, I, the, the podcast voice. I knew it was very present. I, it's been in my ears before. <laughs> Willem. Willem and Shangela. They've been in my ear before. Well, yeah. not, sho not shocking. Okay. So number three. I'll be home at last. Not a loser anymore. 
time before. Oh, fudge. I think because for someone to be singing, maybe this time from Cabaret, I think this is <laughs> uh, Tony Collette and oh gosh what's her name i feel so bad i can never remember her name from big feet big fat greek wedding what's her name <laughs> big, big feet greek wedding i'd love feet. to that movie. <laughs> the big feet greek wedding and the film oh shit what's the film called again connie and carla yeah yeah the movie which i will it to be better than it is so enjoy <laughs> but it's absolute crap yeah. tony collette deserves a full-blown musical that's... Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. With that voice, sure thing. But um, still, still a very special film. A, a gift that you kindly gave to me during the lockdown. A surprise that came in the post one day was a copy of it on DVD. But before we did a chance to watch it and realised that it probably wasn't worth gifting. Um, and, well, I'd already seen it. Uh, spoiler, and I still think it's worth gifting. But thanks oh. for your. <laughs> so you sent me your copy because you're like, yeah, you get rid of that. No, now. I bought us both a new copy so we could watch. I, I do have a soft spot for it, but it is crap. Yeah, it is. Um, okay, so last but not least, I have to give a full out performance, but everyone else can just get through it. I mean, he's chewing gum. Chewing gum helps me think. Sweetie, you're wasting your gum. <laughs> Oh, of course you wouldn't have been able to make it through that without. Um, it is, of course, Nathan Lane in The Birdcage. Yes, maybe my favourite of all drag queens on stage, Starina. Starina um, is the best of the best. And we have done a podcast on Nathan, so please go back and listen to that too. That was real fun. It was a lot of fun. So you, my friend, are going to the Moulin Rouge... <laughs> <laughs> with the cast and crew of the movie. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, I don't know if I did well enough for such a gift, but I accept. Thank you. It's all right. And actually, uh, now's a good time to suggest people actually somehow buy us tickets and also buy Nicole, Ewan, McGregor, Jim Broadbent. We'd all love a ticket to Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Find us online. Can't, give us Throw money at us. It. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Nicole are really struggling in particular. Ugh, Nicole, having a hard time. Um, no more Chanel lads. Um, so I guess let's talk about the future. And before we do that, let's say let's just briefly mention that he has kind of two significant movies coming out, which is Disney's Encanto, the musical by uh, with music from Lin Manuel Miranda, which is very exciting. And he also has the menu, which is a dark comedy thriller, um, directed by Mark Molloyd, who is probably most famous for his work on Succession and Game of Thrones. Um, and it's, he's co-starring with An Anya Taylor Joy and Nicholas Holt, Ray Fiennes, Janet McTeer, Judith Light, and many more in this film. So you know, there's some fun things coming. Yeah. But what can we add to this list? What do you have for us, Scott? Um, I struggled with this one because it was a lot of me just thinking they sh he should be in this because he hasn't already. Like Martin Scorsese or something, if you look back at, say, Carlito's Way or things like that, he does so convincingly, or even, you know, Romeo and Juliet, he does it so co convincingly and with such gravitas that you would have thought that he would have been in a Scorsese film. So, hey, I'd be all for him being in a Scorsese film. That I mean, gangster film or not, 
I'm absolutely sold on that. It feels like an obvious statement, but I don't know if I've used Scorsese. I probably have used him before, but if not, not often. Um, so I would start there, but I'd then say, let's say not a gangster film. That's the way in. That's how I've gotten into this idea. But I would be more interested in seeing him in, uh, you know, one of Scorsese's not gangster types like Hugo or things like that. He would have been lovely in something like Hugo, actually. Um, if Scorsese wants to go back and do another family, um, family film, then I think it would be lovely to have um, John in it. Yeah, he would be lovely in... And that's why, like, Encanto, for instance, I'm very excited to see him. Mm -hmm. I know it's a voice role, but as this kind of... Because he, he, he also talks about um, his children quite a lot, particularly his son in interviews, and just the way he talks about it. And I don't know if you saw this, but when they... Um, what was it? When They See Us? The TV I've series. not watched it, actually, yet. Oh, his performance. Uh, like, he's a father in that, and, like, he was Emmy-nominated for his work. But it's really striking. I mean that yeah. show is amazing in lots of ways, but he really is effective in it. So yeah, I agree. Oh, he'd be lovely in a thing like you go. Speaking of which, mine is similar but different. Um, and also is something I've suggested before for sure. But Paddington three, I feel like he has like a real warmth. I know, but also like a very kind of silly slapstick humor that I think yeah. he'd be good at. I don't want him to play a villain though. I want him to be like somebody that you know befriends Paddington in some way or it becomes part of Paddington's troop almost um I've not thought much more about that but I just think it would be lovely to see him and Paddington hang out in London yeah no I think that's a nice idea and I can see it but yeah you do, do love returning to to Paddington whenever you can um I then similarly, it was a lot of people I was like, oh, he's of course he's worked with them. I remember him working with them. And then I look and I'm like, no, he never has. Um, the Coen Brothers. I yeah. would love to see him in a Coen Brothers film. And again, I'm like, wait, I'm, why do I remember him in a Coen Brothers film? But he is not in a Coen Brothers film. Um, I would be delighted to see that. And, and again, surely an easy fit. I wouldn't be fussy. I think I would lean into it being preferably... Oh, I don't know. I would like to see both. I would like to see him in a darker Coen Brothers film, like A No Country for Old Men, as a villain type. I would be all for seeing him play um, evil, sinister, you know, the kind of Javier Bardem thing, but different because his energy would be very different from Javier. So something where he can get his teeth into something creepy, sinister, interesting. But also I would then like him to do one of their more lighter comedic type films. So say a Oh, I don't know, like, a, I guess a Fargo is a mix of the two. It is still kind of on the darker side, but I like that balance of the of the humour. But I could just see him in any of the things they've done before. I really could. So, but I think something like that. I think something which would give him work that is complex and interesting, funny, layered... And the Coen brothers and him feel like they would be uh, a match made in heaven. Hmm, I agree. 
Um, one thing looking at his work, which I guess maybe he chose not to, but I part of me thinks, no, he just well, wouldn't be given the opportunity, is a romantic comedy type part. Which is why I was a little bit disappointed with Sisters watching it for this. Because mm. I thought he had more of an active role. Instead he's just kind of this kind of sex pest and this that they remember from school kind of character um but he would be like such a lovely partner for somebody in a rom-com and i'm i'm thinking something like schmaltzy something in the vein of like a while you were sleeping sort of thing where like either he's the protagonist or he is the love interest but it's just very silly and like i don't know if anyone when I say while you're sleeping, people know what that kind of means. But that's the sort of film where she loves somebody. The guy gets stuck on a train track. Um, she goes to the hospital to see him for no reason at all. And pretends that she's married to him, to his family while he's in a coma. Um, so I love this kind of like high <laughs> concept, big hearted romantic comedy. and would love to see him. And I don't know who I would partner him with. There, I mean, don't get me started on women that could be great foils to him but somebody like why not a sandra bullock or you know who yeah is absolutely like, I... that might that would could be wonderful um i don't know i just i i'm really all for him like showing more range like something like to wong fu than we get to see of him lately yeah um Yes, I think that is a lovely idea, and I'm I'm always all for romantic comedy suggestions, and I think that is a lovely one. Um, my the other one I came up with was one that he kind of has done before, a film we didn't talk about called uh, Summer of Sam, uh, and uh, directed by Spike Lee, and as we mentioned earlier, Spike Lee directed his specials so obviously they've got this thing i've not seen summer of sam maybe it's exactly what i'm hoping for and and therefore this is a redundant suggestion but i imagine that that's maybe i think that focuses on on murders that are taking place during a summer in new york in the 70s i want more of the kind of uh, not necessarily lighter but more of that trip down memory lane type landscape that Spike Lee's created of New York mm -hmm. in other films like Crooklyn, which we mentioned when we spoke about Alfred Woodard. Um, or I guess kind of what we see in, in Do the Right Thing too, but that, that leans more into the, the kind of the, the heavier side. But I think with New York being so important to John and where he's come from and and defines a lot of who he is as a as a person I think it would be wonderful to see a depiction of the Latin communities of New York and maybe then Spike Lee's not the director, but I'm just thinking of that. But then maybe mm -hmm. if we can get a Latin director to to do something in the same gene as a Spike Lee film, um, I think that might be a dream, a dream kind of teaming of, of, of things coming together to, to, to tell a really lovely and and fairly kind of un un you know un tapped thing on the big screen. I know there was the big discussions around in the Heights from this year, and, yeah. and it's sort of it's um 
it looking at the Latin community, and hey, there's a lot of Latin actors and performers in that, but then there was the kind of erasure of the black Latin community uh, and things like that. So maybe maybe there's a film which is going to do better on that front. And it could be a yeah. musical, if it wants to be. Uh, I don't think it would need to be, but something about that community uh, and a very... Uh, a kind of a love letter to that community... Mm-hmm. Um, I think could be a great thing. Yeah, I mean, it feels like with In the Heights, and I dread to think what Steven Spielberg's West Side Story would be like, um, <laughs> but I feel like there has to be a turning point in terms of kind of a Latin American stories being told in a more authentic way. Um, yeah. And hopefully someone like John Gizmo will have be part of that because he does that so well in on stage um so hopefully film allows him to um and i really wish my last choice was anywhere near as um progressive but i'm going with an old reliable <laughs> <laughs> go for it so somebody when um so i'm suggesting like I've done before, Mamma Mia. Um, so when... <laughs> you need to be stopped. You can't do it twice for John. <laughs> no, but this is so specific. Um, okay, in that go on. When people were like suggesting that Mamma Mia 3 could focus on Cher's character and Andrew, Andy Garcia's character back in the past, and it could be called Mamma Mia 3, Fernando. And it would be about that. <laughs> Now, I'm imagining that John is part of this world. Like, he's either, like, the guardian that looks after the that the young Andy Garcia lives with or the young Cher lives with. Um, and he has his own, like, romantic problems, his own issues. Um, and it's kind of... He's, like, a shadow, almost, of the main storyline. But he gets to have what I think is an amazing new song by ABBA, Don't Shut Me Down. So he like turns <laughs> up at the door of someone and he's there, you know. I, I'm just going to read some of the lyrics because they're, they're pretty special. Please. Um, but he's like, I've been reloaded, yeah, I'm fired up, don't shut me down. I'm like a dream within a dream that's been decoded. I'm fired up, I'm hot, don't shut me down. <laughs> so he's like singing this at the, at the balcony, being like, come on, come on. I love you, come back to me. And that's kind of as much as I've got, but that's probably as much as anyone had for Mamma Mia 1 or 2. And and then they rolled with it. So, perfect. <laughs> so I think that would be... i just love to see him in such a broad... I, I guess that's what a lot of my things are, but broad parts and having fun. Because he's well able to bring emotion to it, which I think is actually quite a hard thing for people, for, for many actors, but it comes so naturally to him. Yes. So, as we say with many of the people we talk about on here, I will take all of this and then some. Like, let's let's be getting more more for John. He he can do it all by the seams of things. So, why not? Yeah, he should. Ad- yeah. adventure. Um, why it not was up to me. Him? I would just hand him the budget to like a hundred million dollars to make whatever he wanted. Um, he de- like he like after um, the success of Hamilton, he was like, oh, maybe I should write a musical. And then he did called Kiss My Aztec, um, which sounds pretty successful. Like he just seems to have this huge creative energy and force. And it's so frustrating, which we do come upon or come across in other episodes, don't you? But it's so frustrating that the industry just does not allow someone like him to thrive when 
we'd all benefit if he did. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, exactly. So why repress um, us and and prevent us from having these delights? Come on, universe. So where can people find us, Scott? So if you would like to get in touch, as earlier mentioned, and, and let us know your favourite John films, things that we've missed in his um, interesting and varied back catalogue, or would like to suggest someone to chat about next just anything else you're feeling you can get us on email at don't know her pod at gmail.com or you can find us on social media um, and you can catch us over on instagram or twitter at don't know her underscore pod yes and please do leave us reviews ratings wherever you can that really does help us um like we don't ask for money or any kind of subscriptions or anything like that but we would love just as much support or sharing um, as you can. And if you can think of one person that you think would enjoy this podcast, please do share with them. But yeah, like it's been such a joy, as always, hanging out with you and talking about these films, trying to figure out what, the, why the fuck the happening ever happened. <laughs> happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's all happening. But yeah, so please, everybody, join us next time when we'll be talking about, you guessed it, a woman, because we can't do two men in a row. That would be too much. No, no, we would never. Alrighty, well, uh, have a lovely day wherever you are. Michael, that goes to you as well. A pleasure as always. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye.